here we go. It's Friday, and it's the tail end of the week as we get into a long holiday weekend. Good afternoon, and welcome to what looks like a great day and a great day for talk radio. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, it started early. Is I, that I, a woo? That's the woo-woo guy. That was a Friday long weekend. Woo! Yeah, well, you know what? He was doing that yesterday as well, which gives me pause to wonder if... That was uh, Ric Flair. (laughs) The nature boy is in the house. Well, all right. You know, everybody's in a good mood, evidently. uh, You know, I thought I was the only one into my cups. Uh, But there you... Listen, uh, it's a long weekend, and... uh, Tomorrow is September. I can't wrap my head around that. I'm sorry, but the summer's gone too fast. Right. And the indication of that is because I guess this weekend, the X closes. It's the big air show. Yes, we can already hear it here down on the waterfront. Well, I didn't know what that was because, you see, it took me by surprise. Again, not making the adjustment or connecting that, uh, hey, it's the end of August or early September as of tomorrow. And I hear what sound like bomber jets. Yes. Yeah. That happens so often. Almost every year I hear somebody say, what the... Oh, yeah. Labor Day. Well, I thought it might have been, you know, the F-18s or maybe the B-52s that were trying to intimidate Canada into signing a NAFTA deal. Well, there you, you know, go. Coming in from Plattsburgh <laughs> just to fire a shot across our bow. I didn't know what that was. Because, you know, this whole thing, this NAFTA thing, by the way, has been postponed until next week. Evidently, uh, it's not, according to Donald Trump anyway, uh, a drop-dead date of Friday. They're still going to go at it. But uh, now this whole thing about the Toronto Star getting a word (laughs) that Donald Trump had made some mention to Bloomberg News off the record where he said any kind of a deal would be, quote, totally on our terms and said he was scaring the Canadians into submission by repeatedly threatening to impose tariffs. (laughs) I love this quote. Off the record, he says, this is Trump. Canada's working their ass off. And every time we have a problem with a point, I just put up a picture of a Chevrolet Impala because that's what they make at the Oshawa assembly plant. eh? So this is where he would hamper us uh, from this trade. But he deemed them off the record. And he said, uh, hey, guys, don't tell anybody. And don't tell Daniel Dale from the star right now. That kind of thing. Oops. Well, yeah, you know, I'm almost believing that as, you know, much as he's painted as a buffoon and an idiot, uh, there might be some a method to this. A picture of the Impala? Well, yeah, he might be playing us like a fiddle. Who knows? You know, his buddy Conrad Black joins us at the bottom of the hour. We'll ask him, amongst other other questions, whether or not, you know, this is the way Trump kind of rolls. He operates in that way. He just keeps people off balance. He's unpredictable. He's volatile. That's part of his negotiating technique. And sometimes that off balance can take people out of their comfort zone, and that's maybe part of his overall strategy. Well, that's what I'm wondering, and, uh, you know, because he's got a lot of people miffed on this side of the border anyway, but I noted with uh, some interest that uh, we had our trade negotiators down there, Christian Freeland and Gerald Butts, and I went, uh-oh, isn't this Trudeau's point, man? He was also a principal behind the Kinder Morgan thing. He was Dalton McGinty's uh, architect here. Kathleen wins as well. This country's in trouble is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I don't know that we're going to get anything to our advantage, but uh, look. Trump's got all the cards. We need their economy, their market to uh, support. We have this advantageous position of being sharing a continent with them, an undefended border for the most part. And, uh, you know, he understands that. Don't they need us? We need them. They need us. We need them more than they need us. That would be my take on on the matter. I mean, uh, to what extent they would need us, I'm not sure on balance that it's all that great. I mean, they hold 
the guards there. They've got the bully pulpit. And uh, insofar as any kind of a trade arrangement would be concerned, Trump's not going to be doing it because he's a swell guy. So this is what we have to wait and find out now. We're on the clock. It's going to be next week now that they resume the talk. So the Friday deadline, a drop-dead date, has now been blown through. So we can disregard that. Another, <laughs> I guess, maybe it's a threat we call their bluff. Uh, do we take solace in that or somehow see it as a somewhat pyrrhic victory? Like, uh, yay, hey, we won. And yet, you know. Yay, we extended the deadline. Right, that's it. What Woo-hoo. else did we get Woo-hoo. in the offing? All right, hey, something else on the deadline. It's uh, going to be the second week of September when we find out whether or not this challenge to the province of Ontario over Bill 5, you know, when they passed this earlier this summer, the Better Local Government Act, cutting council from 47 to 25 seats, would actually be successfully challenged in court because the city, Toronto Board of uh, the School Board, took them to the province to court today in a superior court. And the justice, Edward Bellaboba, says he's going to try to move quickly on this one because the election's upcoming October 22nd. Now, the government, the provincial government's basically saying, well, it's kind of too late to reverse even now, uh, because if you do that, you'll further upset the apple cart. The initial argument from the city and uh, the proponents of taking this to court is that this has sort of blindsided a lot of people and has upset them in the throes of a municipal election. Well, if you reverse field now... You're doubly upsetting them, aren't you? I mean, how do they go back to square one again and reprint all of their literature and so on and so forth? So it says to me that basically uh, I'm not sure that this belongs in court. It's, uh, first of all, I don't know that there's time to go back to a 47-seat model. And if we don't do it now, then when are we going to do it? It's never going to happen. The people who are complaining to me don't seem, at least in my interpretation of things, have a solid footing. They talk about constitutional rights and democracy and protected by the Charter. It's like, sorry, folks, but uh, it says to me that the province has jurisdiction over this since the city is a creature of the province. The City of Toronto Act and all this stuff about consultation and yada, 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 because it was promised under the Miller regime. Well, that came and went with David Miller. We got a new sheriff in town. His name is Doug Ford. And I don't think the court has a role to play in any of this. But still, it's going to be played out in the court. And as a consequence, we'll see exactly how they rule but my guess would be if i had to be a betting man i'm not but our friend cam coming by later is and uh we'll talk about Nah, we're not going to talk about this there are other things we need to talk about but still i would bet that the province is going to be uh the victor in all of this and we do have christine van gogh coming up later from the canadian taxpayer federation to talk about the the council seats and give us an update on that Well, that's a pragmatic look at things because uh, she, of course, with the uh, Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Ontario branch, would suggest that this is going to save the taxpayers money. And I would agree with her. And, you know, I'm fully supportive of the initiative Bill 5 by the provincial government. It says to me uh, it's about time. I don't think there's going to be a lack of representation and somehow democracy gets compromised or people are blindsided now. It can't be fully representative. You can still run. People will still get to vote. So where's the subversion of democracy here? End of story. I'll tell you where the, the point of subversion of free speech has been taking place in academia. And this is another Doug Ford initiative where he announced yesterday uh, that any school, university, a post-secondary institution that fails to maintain policies that allow for freedom of speech and expression are going to face reductions to their operating grant funding proportional to the severity of noncompliance. And this is an interesting development because 
you know, a lot of schools, uh, the way they run, they do keep certain points of view at bay. And uh, that can be done in a proactive way, like pro-life groups may be kept off campus. And they have a legitimate point of view. You may not agree with it, but it's still a point of view that many adhere to. And I would say you've got to allow them the forum, the freedom of expression on your campus as much as you've got other groups that, uh, you know, may be pro-choice. And it says to me there's a stacked deck and there's certainly discriminatory policies insofar as expression are concerned. So this is going to safeguard that. And where it gets, uh, well, into trickier, and I was pointing out that this is where schools may sometimes obviate these groups from setting up shop and allowing them uh, to express themselves as much as you may disagree. The other thing, the other trick that's now being used as well, you know, it's too much of a security hassle and we've got to hire this, that or the other, or they'll impose that penalty upon the organizers. If you want to bring on a controversial speaker, for example, you know, and whoever that is, Ann Coulter, there's an example. Well, we can't, we can't guarantee her safety. So you guys are going to have to pay for security. Oh, that's going to be what? Five grand. Uh, geez, you know, the student group that's planning to bring her in can't afford the hit. So that disqualifies that from happening. And so see, this is the way they do it. And the schools should have to guarantee security of these individuals, I believe. And uh, when they're very selective in who they allow to express themselves, I think Doug Ford has called them out on it and it's the appropriate response. And some people are pissed. I, I was reading where one of the professors out at Ryerson was saying, well, no, then this really infringes on the autonomy of the university to make the call. Look, maybe you've got a religious student organization, Evangelical Christians Union of whatever, Waterloo, and they may speak against gay marriage as evangelicals are wont to do. Do you deny them access because this is considered hate speech of a stripe? Or do you say, no, no, this is free expression and their religious rights are also guaranteed in the charter. And I know a lot of times we've litigated this in the courts here in open forums like talk radio, whether or not these are the kinds of things when it's competing or clashing interests, one, you know, subverts the other uh, or subsumes the other. This is where I think the universities have got to be open to any and all, except for we've got codified hate speech when you're inciting against identifiable groups. And I don't think this qualifies as incitement. So what I'm saying is you've got to allow these groups to speak. And this is where Doug Ford is coming from. And uh, if you support that, I'd like to hear from you. I'm going to open the lines on that note. Uh, and then Conrad Black joins us at the bottom of the hour, the latest update on the NAFTA talks, which have now been put in a hiatus, at least for the long holiday weekend. We still have the Kinder Morgan deal, which we're feeling the reverberations. This could be a national crisis of sorts. If we really wanted to drill down on it, I know it's Friday, it's a long holiday weekend, but I wanted to get it said and hear from Conrad. He's always very insightful and, uh, you know, has historical cred to back him up on a lot of these things. Because I don't think mega projects like the Transcontinental Railway that came to bind this early country together in the aftermath of Confederation back in the 19th century, I don't think those kinds of projects could happen today. And so uh, it tells me that really uh, we're on the precipice of uh, some kind of stasis or gridlock or maybe the country's no longer open for business. And that's the most serious or dire threat that businesses offshore capital doesn't want to invest in Canada because these projects can't get off the ground. They're being stifled. 
by a lot of people putting up barriers and uh, intractable hoops and hurdles and things like that. So we'll talk to Conrad momentarily. We've got our panel today, our friend Cam, as I was mentioning. On this matter, though, let me speak to uh, what I think is an interesting development when yesterday the provincial government made a commitment to the people of Ontario to protect free speech on campuses. The free speech policies require that uh, schools remain open to discussion and free inquiry and not shield students from ideas or opinions they find offensive and will not allow students or teachers to obstruct others from expressing their views. Again, I say hate speech that violates Canadian law will not be allowed. That's incitement primarily, uh, and so we get that. But there are other things that may be controversial, you may not agree with, you may not subscribe to, uh, you think are hateful or hurtful, but if they don't violate the law, should campuses still green light this? 